Leaving comfort is rough, but God was so enamored with us that he left the comfort of heaven. That's pretty local. We didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway. So God himself took on a fragile body. God of the universe got the flu and the common cold. He sweated and he bled. He took on haters. He was jumped by soldiers. People spat on him and ultimately murdered him. And in that weak, breakable body, Jesus sat with the contagious and the hurting. He listened, he healed them, he encouraged them, he taught them. And that's where he found us, in the sketchy places you wouldn't take tu familia. And rather than call us hopeless, Jesus pulled us out the gutter, placed hands on the addicted, shady, and diseased people. He looked us in the eyes and called us beloved children. This is the incarnation, God incarnate. God in the meat, God on the block, God on the street. And these are the stories of the people he met. Well, hey guys, how are we this morning? Good. Doing good? I feel like I got an extra hour of sleep and I'm more tired. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if anybody else feels the same way. I think that what's happening right now is the world is ramping up now. Like, I feel like the next month and a half, two months, like, we're all going to be going faster and faster, and it's going to be a reminder that we all have to slow down. We all have to take rest. We all have to stop. So as you feel this, this burden to go faster, to be more places at one time, to get more stuff done, consider that perhaps the Lord might have times when you need to just stop, rest, reflect, pray, read his word. Um, be encouraged, and maybe to just go hang out with somebody and go see a movie. Um, so today's message, we're going to be in Luke 19, 1 through 10. That's Luke 19, 1 through 10. Um, we have Bibles available in the back corner. If you'd like one, uh, we would love to uh, gift one to you. Um, and uh, I'm going to give you a little context. So uh, you guys know that a lot of times we move expositorily through the Bible, where we go line by line through a whole book. Um, but uh, it was important to me this time that I felt like, and we had a lot of new people that were not Christians or are not Christians that are in our congregation, and I wanted to just give them a taste of who Jesus was, kind of like a firsthand um, view of them. So um, that's why we're doing that this year, um, and uh, I'm cool with that, and I hope you are too. Now, uh, I will give you context from Luke 18. Now, you'll remember I preached on this about a month ago, where there was this rich dude that went up to Jesus, said, hey, I've done everything that you asked me to do. So what must I do? What else must I do to inherit heaven? And Jesus is like, go sell everything. And he what, went away sad, right? Like he, he, he wasn't going to stick around with Jesus because Jesus challenged him on an idol that he had, which was his money. Um, now this is really interesting because in Luke 19, this next uh, thing that we're preaching on, Jesus meets um, another rich ruler, another rich leader. Uh, this one is uh, clearly corrupt um, and just super rich. So this is where Jesus meets Zacchaeus uh, in the town of Jericho. And, and Jericho is a famous city. We know in the Old Testament that like Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, right? And the walls came tumbling. Yep. I'm not going to sing you the song about Zacchaeus because I didn't grow up in church, so I don't really know how the song goes, but some of you guys may know it. Um, I'm hearing like little whispers of people who, who grew up in the church. I can... You guys have just been outed as growing up in the church. Um, 
Well, here's the thing. Jericho was, really, was known really well for being a rich place. Um, Jericho was known, I still hear singing, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so Jericho was known for its palm forests um, and uh, rich, uh, rich fruit from the palm trees, and so it yielded much produce, and it was also known for its balsam fir forests, and it is said that um, these lucrative pine trees were so prevalent that you could smell Jericho for miles. How awesome does that sound? I, that feels like Denver to me. Um, you know, just that... <laughs> That those parts of Denver are like Colorado Springs, or maybe if you ever heard of Flagstaff, Arizona, where uh, you just go and you just start to smell the pine. And I feel like for me, it like puts me at ease. I don't know about you, but pine trees just do that to me. So that is Jericho, rich, plentiful, smells good. And in ancient times, you know, to have that like uh, that little pine fresh smell, as opposed to when you don't have very good sewage, it's kind of nice to have that smell. So people would have wanted to live there. Um, ancient historian Josephus called the city of Jericho, quote, the fattest in Palestine. Um, not fat like uh, Texas, but fat like uh, that, that they had lots of things. Uh, so I made fun of Texas and nobody cared. Um, but this means that the Zacchaeus, that Zach, our friend Zach, is going to be a very wealthy man. And he's going to be a wealthy man in a wealthy region of a wealthy area. And so that, that's important to know about Zach. Now we'll talk about Zacchaeus and how he got wealthy in a little bit. But first, why don't we read from Luke 19, 1 through 10. You guys ready? Here we go. When it says he, here it's talking about Jesus. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since uh, he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus! Hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain, he's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give a half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. Would you please pray with me? Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. We know our faults and we know our fears and you know them too and you still love us. We worry, we fear, we get anxious. Would you remind us today that you are already pleased with us? Would you help us to move closer to you in joy and love and not fear of you being a mad dad? Might we not function out of fear of rejection, instead be people who can stand upon the works of your son, Jesus? Give us confidence this morning. Teach us from your beautiful word. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we understand that people didn't like Zacchaeus, right? We're already there, but I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that. Um, but before we understand the hatred of our friend Zach in this story, we have to understand Israel, right? We've got to understand Israel. Um, our nation right now is very split, isn't it? Republican, Democrat. Um, that is very much the way our nation is at the moment. Um, 
we have nothing on Israel. (laughs) The contention that we have right now has nothing on what Israel had at the moment. The nation was split into those who supported Roman occupation and those who wanted to fight Rome. Um, You had the Sadducees. They worked with the state on almost everything. They were a type of Jew who would work with the state and they would have the state-run religion in many ways. That was the Sadducees. Then you had the Pharisees who couldn't stand the Sadducees. Um, And the Pharisees uh, thought that the Sadducees were sellouts. And the Pharisees had their own way and they had the Bible and then they had their oral tradition. That was the, the Pharisees. Then we start to get into some real interesting dudes. We had the Essenes, the Essene Jews. The Essenes were the ones who were like, you know what? This place is dumb. We're going to get out. So the Essenes would go into the desert and just copy scripture down, write it down. That's how we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, by the way, the Essenes. So those are kind of cool dudes, even though they you know, decided to bail. Um, and then there was also the zealots. The zealots were the dudes that were like ready to, to roll with Rome, ready to fight Rome, ready to fight back, ready to fight the man. That, that was the zealots. And then you had um, this other group uh, that were a side group of the, uh, the zealots, and they were called the sicari. Um, Sike meaning small daggers. These guys were known as wearing robes, trying to pretend to be from a different group, going in and having these little tiny daggers, and they would go assassinate people that were in leadership in Rome. Well, the reason why I mention this as interesting is only because there is a cult in San Diego with that very name, um, the Sicari. And uh, there are also, some people would call them the Black Hebrew Israelites, but they are actually a subset of the Black Hebrew Israelites called the Sicari. And um, the Southern Poverty Law Center would call them a, um, a hate group. And so we actually have those guys in our midst that would believe that, that believe Everything about our nation needs to be overthrown. Everything about our country needs to go down in flames. They, would go, they go online and they say, we can't wait until Russia destroys the United States of America. That's, that's this group centered from San Diego, actually. And I see those guys at Starbucks right here. You'll see them wearing purple robes with like tassels on them or blue robes. Um, they are a subset of the black Hebrew Israelites. And so it's very interesting um, to, to think of when we're thinking about what it was like in Israel, like we've seen some of those guys. I've seen those guys on bullhorns yelling at women not to speak. <laughs> um, and so that's what we have. This is like what's going on. These are, this is the infighting going on in Israel at the moment. And so when we think, oh man, like, oh, our nation's crazy right now. It was crazier okay? It was crazier because there, you know, here we have some people on one side that'll say, oh, occupation is not far away. You know, someone might, might make that claim. There, it was occupation. It was real. It was happening. Um, there was no vote. This was, you will submit to Rome or you will be killed. And this was, hey, we're going to kill you when you least expect it. That's what was going on. So uh, understanding now how heavy it was back then, Um, understanding now that our fights pale in comparison to what was going on then, I'm going to give you three points um, from Zach and Jesus. Um, Did you get the un? Yeah, okay, I put it as Zach and Jesus. Um, I guess there's two things. I didn't know that. Good, Good job. Okay, so my first point is we must be careful not to keep people from Jesus. So no matter where you're at, we must be careful not to keep people from Jesus. Now, this seems really hilarious because, duh, everybody knows this, right? And yet, this is not as easy as we sometimes think. In verse 1, it said, He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he's not able to because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to Jesus, since uh, since he was about to pass that way. 
So Zach was a man who would have been welcome around Jesus, um, who would have not been welcome around Jesus, I'm sorry. Uh, People would have made sure to keep him out. The fact that he had to climb a tree showed that even though he was rich, he was not esteemed in his community, was he? Um, I've actually read one author who said, I cannot believe that Zach would have had to, he wouldn't have said Zach, that Zacchaeus um, would have had to climb a tree if he were well thought of. Matter of fact, this one author said that he believed that uh, Zacchaeus would have made it to that tree just barely, with bruises and cuts, would have fallen, would have been knocked down on his way as a mob of people who could not be identified would have just made it their chance to finally get back at this dude, who is well-known. So he was an outsider. And yet he was willing to do anything to get a better look at Jesus. Not to surrender his life to Jesus. At this point, I think he's really just trying to see, who is this Jesus dude I've been hearing about? Now, some of you may be peeking in today into the church because a friend bugged you to come with them, Or maybe they bribed you with some sweet, sweet Mexican food afterwards. Either way, if you are a believer, um, you're welcome here. But if you're not a believer, you're always welcome here. And we want you to know that we are happy to have you anytime. So uh, many of you guys know I'm a surfer. And uh, it finds its way into different stories um, only because it's a part of my life. And now as a surfer, I moved back here uh, three and a half years ago, I guess. And um, I had a buddy who was a surfer, that welcomed me out to go surfing. And um, it was really good because he was a good surfer, and I was not. And I can tell you, though, it's been three and a half years um, back surfing again, and I'm still not. <laughs> Even though I surf every week, man, it's just, you got to go like five times a week to be a good surfer, I feel like. And so there's this thing, though. When you go surfing and you go to a certain spot, that spot is owned, right? There are people there who have localized that spot. And so if you want to go surfing, and you know, so some of you have even said, hey, can I go surfing with you? And I'm always like, uh, yeah, uh, but maybe let's go here instead of where I go. Um, and, and it's because if you go surfing and at a certain spot, like my, in my case, it's Pacific Beach by the pier, you have to know what your place is. And you have to know that if you're, if you're paddling out on one of those $100 Costco boards, you are going to be in trouble. If you're going out there on a stand-up paddleboard, you are going to be in trouble. I've had guys there who have actually literally told me that they have been in the back of police cars because they made sure a stand-up paddleboarder would never come back. One time there was a fisherman who, who got a, a fishing hook on one of the surfers there who surfed by the pier. That guy, that surfer who went straight up back to the pier threw all that guy's stuff into the water. That's the kind of attitude of these guys at the beach. That's the kind of attitude of these guys at this spot. And I can tell you that without my friend Jerry, I would not be welcome there because I'm still a bad surfer, like bad. Um, But something happened when he brought me out. I had friends who were willing to welcome me in only because I was there with Jerry. There was a circle that was closed and it was opened up for me, not because of my talent, not because of my skill, not because I like to sing the final countdown at 7 a.m. in the morning, which I think they should appreciate, but they don't. Um, I was welcomed in. And friends, uh, it means so much to me to be welcomed in. I can tell you last week I was surfing, and um, the waves were a little on the bigger side for me, and what they were doing is um, they were sucking up from the bottom in very shallow water and just pounding on the ground. Um, And when I mean pounding on the ground, I mean like literally if you fell off your board, you were on the ground. Um, that's right. 
And so what happened was, um, I love that she talks back to me. I wish more of you guys would do it. I love it when it happens. I, it makes me, like, I get to kind of riff with you guys a little bit. Here's the thing. Um, I caught several waves last week. And you know what happened? Is some of the, like, biggest, toughest guys were like, Dale, I saw that last one. Way to go, buddy. Yeah, and it's like, I realize that I'm, you know, like the tiny Tim of the group where everybody, like, feels sorry for me. Um, but I can tell you that I have been welcomed in. And, and the fact that I'm welcomed in causes me to feel comfort. It causes me to feel safe. There are days when it feels a little big for me, and I feel okay going because I know that there's people that will welcome me in. And I hope that in the same way that our church will be that. That in the same way, we won't keep people out from Jesus. Well, what does that look like? Well, Romans 14.1 says, Accept anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. That's interesting. I'm taking that a little bit in context where it would say welcoming a brother, another Christian, a fellow Christian. But I tell you that we need to be known more of by the way we welcome people. We need to not create boundaries so that people cannot come into church. And even in a very specific way, when we spend time as the church afterwards or outside of this building, I hope that we consider others. Um, when I was uh, first in high school, I mean, I first started going to church, I remember someone saying, like, there's a horseshoe rule, um, and it's when you hang out with people, never hang out in a circle. It should always be a horseshoe. And if someone comes in to join you, open the, open the horseshoe. I hope that our church never, never creates these circles where no one can get in. The horseshoe should always be open. And as soon as we add people, let's open it up. Let us consider ways that we might be a welcoming church. And now let me ask you, let me have you consider this. What are, what, what are some ways that our church has to be for you? What are some ways that you think are non-negotiables for your church? What are things, think about it, what, what does our church need to be? Do we need to study the Bible? Do we need to have... Uh, uh, good preaching or music, or do we need to be kind, compassionate? What are those things that you think I have to have in my church? Now, I ask you to consider, are there any of those things that you're thinking about that are not in the Bible? Are there any of those things that you're thinking about that our church has to be um, that are not necessarily biblical? And I would say if there's something that we have to be, um, and those things might keep someone from knowing Jesus, then be ready to throw those out. Be ready to bend on those things. So some, some people would say it like this, like um, eat the fish, spit out the bones. I hope that our church can do that. But there's going to be times when we say, you know what? We do things this way, but we're finding that certain people need, it, need something else to feel welcome in our church. And it's not about the Bible. Then why would we not change those things? Now, Jesus talks about this in, in wineskins and wine. Um, we're not talking about changing the wine. We're only talking about changing the bottle that we put the wine in, changing the glass that we put the wine in. Those are the different things. So I, I call you to think about the things that you love about our church. And when they're biblical, um, we should be about those things. When they're just extra, and they might keep someone else out, then let's consider maybe one day not having those things. I don't even know what that means, but I, I, I call upon us to think about those things. On Sundays, do we go into our enclaves? On weekdays, do we go back into spending our time only with people who look, vote, talk, and spend like us? May it not be. Might we be more welcoming into our own personal lives? When we do those things, we keep people out, and it's sinful. But why did they hate Zach so much? And why would Jesus care for such a jerk? Isn't Jesus all-knowing? Doesn't he know what Zach was up to? Doesn't he know that he was a bad dude? 
That leads us to our second point, which is that Jesus loves your oppressors. Is this a hard one? Yeah. It is a hard one for me. Jesus loves your oppressors. Jesus loves the jerks in your life. Jesus loves the people who pick on you. Jesus loves the people who talk behind your back. Jesus loves the people who are stopping you from coming to church. Jesus loves the people that have been abusive to you. That is so hard for me. Verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. Verse 7, and all who saw it begin to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. Mm. One commentator says, they like Jesus' miracles, but they do not care for his personal associations. That's a good word. Now, the name Zacchaeus is a funny name because do you know what it means? Is it means righteous or clean. The name Zacchaeus means righteous or clean. Uh, so we believe this was probably a Jewish name, but we're not sure. But Zacchaeus was probably a Jewish man who was known for not being clean or righteous. Like Zacchaeus was rich, but he was clearly not happy though, was he? I mean, he was probably lonely. What else would have made him so desperate to see Jesus but this loneliness, this, this problem inside of him that could not be satiated by anything else that he sought after? And yet Jesus, knowing who this dude is, says, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house. Okay, but, but in ancient culture, to stay at someone's house, to eat with someone, was to say that you were equal with them. Ooh, that's weird, though. Like, why would, why would Jesus stay at this guy's house? Why would he sleep there? Well, I, I guess we need to go back a little bit and talk even further about why people would have disliked Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Now, what is a tax collector? Some of you may know, some of you may not. Um, he worked with Rome to tax his own people. He worked with Rome to tax his own people. And we would say abusive taxing. Taxing that would have taken away land from farmers. Taxing to the point that when someone could not pay it, um, they would lose assets and, and owe money to Rome. Taxing so much that he was stealing from his own people. And he was called to create his own salary. How would a man like that create his own salary? Taxing people and then just like raising the tax up a little bit so he can get more for himself. When you go to Mexico... And the police used to ex expect a bribe. I don't know if it's quite the same way anymore. But you, okay, yeah. But you've got to keep some money in your wallet because you know if you get pulled over by certain uh, police that they are looking for a bribe. And if you look as white as I do, and if everybody calls you stoner like they do to me when I'm in Mexico, then you have to be ready to have a bribe. Now, I'm not saying I'm getting stoned. I'm just saying every person, including police, will call me stoner if they see me. I don't know why I look like a stoner, but I do. And so what happens is they're waiting to tax me. They're waiting to, because we know that in the past, and maybe today still, the Mexican government wouldn't give enough money to the police in Mexico. And so those men would have to provide for their families. How would they do that? They pull you over, they ask for some more. In the same way, this is what Zacchaeus do, was doing, but Zacchaeus was like the chief of police, right? So he takes a cut from each one and encourages them to give more. So he's skimming off of the skimmers, He's scamming off of the scammers. That's what Zacchaeus is doing. So when you look at Zacchaeus, you're like, Zacchaeus is encouraging these men to take more money. Zacchaeus has not only turned his back on his people, but he's chilling with Rome, 
And then he's, he's taxing the taxers, making sure that they take even more money from you. That is the kind of guy that Zacchaeus was. Not a dude that you'd want to hang out with. But Jesus is called a friend of tax collectors. Now we have a very rich one. And I would think even Jesus' disciples would be a little concerned here. Like, Jesus, hey man, I know that you hang out with people in the gutter, but this is getting out of hand. I cannot stand this person. This person taxes my family. Jesus, don't, don't hang out with this dude. This guy is what is wrong with Israel. This guy is Al Capone. Al Capone, maybe without his minions, because he's still got to climb up a tree to see Jesus, but he's still Al Capone. He's a mobster. He's stealing from people. He is stealing from people with no regret, no shame. This is Zacchaeus. This is who Jesus wants to stay with. Now, we like to see Jesus hang out with prostitutes. We like to see Jesus hang out with the poor, the lame, the blind. But what about the abusers? Do we like it when Jesus chills with pedophiles? Do we like that? Do we like it when Jesus chills with terrorists, white supremacists? Someone in there has to rile you up. Do you like that? Do you like that he hangs out with those people? But Jesus would have chilled with them. And so every time we get into a fight, when we think that our country is so divided, and we look at these people and say, that person doesn't understand, that person is the worst, I want to punch that person in the face, you have to think, Jesus absolutely loves that person and would stay at their house. That is hard for me. But we're told to push people away that are bad, aren't we? We see bad people and we say, get them away. And so often we, we put those bad people in the other political spectrum as us. We put those as people who don't have the same education as us, those who don't have the same addictions as us, those who don't have the same problems as us. It's so much easier to not see them as made in the image of God, but see them as an enemy of God. And yet we're unwilling to look that Jesus welcomed us into his home and we were not perfect either. My own children have been told to deny other kids at school. If you spend time with that other kid, you are out of our group. And I think we do the same thing, don't we? If you spend time with that person, you're out of our group. That's not biblical, is it? Because Jesus spent time with those people. We have to show our children that we can show love to our own bullies without sacrificing biblical truth. If the bully is abusive, let me say this, we don't have to be abused. But we can also show them kindness and not fire back when they hurl insults at us. Proverbs 25, 21 through 22 says this, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. What does that mean? I mean, sometimes when you show grace to someone, I, I, I believe that it actually causes them to feel regret and struggle and draws them to Jesus. Jesus showed grace to Zacchaeus, and when Zacchaeus was just looking through the sycamore leaves at Jesus, when Jesus called him and said, come to my home, Zacchaeus felt something, and there was a change that happened. At first, he was just looking at Jesus, looking for Jesus, and then he saw in Jesus something greater. Maybe he saw a supernatural power that Jesus knew his name. Maybe, he heard, maybe Jesus just heard people mumbling, but Jesus seemed to know more about Zacchaeus than Zacchaeus did. And salvation came to Zacchaeus' home that day. So the question is, who do you need to show grace to today? This doesn't mean if someone is abusing you or hurting you, you should stay in that situation. But you can show grace by not showing violence back. You can show grace by being kind in the face of anger. You can show grace to those who have hurt you. I don't know what that looks like for you, 
But I know that there are lots of people in here who have been abused. And there's lots of people in here who have been hurt. And lots of people that have been slandered. And yet, Jesus showed us a better way. Guys, the grace has been shown to us first, hasn't it? And this is the beauty of the gospel, this idea that God, when we were his enemies, when we were against him, when we were destroying the beautiful planet that he made for us, we were doing all the things that that caused us to be out of relationship with him, he pursued us. That God the Father sent his son Jesus to this earth, and Jesus willingly took on a coat of flesh and bones and made himself fully human, that incarnation, God in the meat. And he was willing to die and be taunted and made fun of because he loved you. Because he loved you awful people. He loved me, awful person. That's the beauty of the gospel. And, and he sacrificed himself as a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Rose again, showing that he has conquered sin and death. Your sin, your death, my sin, my death. What a good God. And so, since we have received that, we should be quick to show mercy. Once you receive mercy, you become more merciful to the poor and to the rich who act like they don't have a problem in the world, even though we all know that they're just acting. James Edwards puts it this way, anyone who reads the Gospels knows that Jesus is a friend of the poor and the oppressed. The story of Zacchaeus, though, testifies that Jesus is a friend of the rich and the rich oppressors as well. We have to forgive and pray for those who oppress us, friends. Justo Gonzalez says, tax collectors in general were despised as collaborators with the Roman regime, as exploiters of the powerless and often contaminated by ritual uncleanliness. That means that these people were not only going against their people, but they were living the life, they were wilding out, whatever you want to say it was. This is someone who steals your money and then goes, spends it all at the nudie bar. That's what's happening. These men are not just clean. Um, They're not just clean rich dudes. These are rich dudes who oppress you and spend the money on prostitutes, the very prostitutes that, that were hurt by these men that Jesus spent time with. He would have known their pain. He would have known the way they were treated. And still Jesus loved them. But even further, Jesus loved those who abused them. How crazy is that? As your pastor, I'm going to encourage you. We should be sitting with anyone in need. And eventually, you're going to be annoyed with it. When someone else in the church sits with someone in need that doesn't agree with you, it's going to be annoying. We should spend time with our atheist friends with our gay friends, with our yuppie friends, with our drug-addicted friends, with our gang-banging friends, with our politician friends, that's hard, I know, with our Muslim friends, our Mormon friends, our Jehovah's Witness friends, with our black Hebrew-Israelite friends, with our police officer friends, with our Black Lives Matter folks, and don't boo even Charger fans. (laughs) You might think that I approve of everything that everyone does that I spend time with, but I assure you I don't. But we are called as Christians to be bridges. We are called as Christians to be bridges with those on both sides that we might disagree with. And I tell you, um, it's been told to me, um, this like blew my mind when someone said it, if you're a bridge, then people are going to walk all over you from both sides. If you're a bridge, people are going to walk all over you from both sides. But it's the good way, it's the right way. Jesus spent time with the prostitute. Jesus spent time with the oppressor who trafficked the same women. And still, somehow, he maintained his integrity. And I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do the same thing. 
So Jesus shows mercy to our idea of a jerky jerk face in Zach, and then something miraculous happens. Some of that cold, hard exterior of an oppressor melts right off of Zacchaeus, and he is a new man, but it is only in Jesus. And that's our third point, which is faith yields works. Faith creates works. It is not the other way around, friends. And you are surrounded by people who would tell you, do enough works and Jesus will love you. I know that people get mad when I say that there is a way and there's not a way, but I tell you when the Jehovah's Witness tell you to do a lot of works and it will earn you something with God, that is a false gospel. That when the Mormons tell you if you just are good and you don't drink caffeine, then you'll be good with God, that is a false gospel. Obviously, there's more to it than that. (laughs) Um, That your Islam friends, when they say, do enough works and Muhammad and Allah will accept you, that is a false gospel. Friends, it is a free gift to you. And no matter where you're at right now, no matter how sinful, broken, oppressive, oppressed, hurt, um, no matter how many drugs have consumed you, no matter how many people have consumed you, Jesus loves you. And if you accept him in faith, it will yield works, but it's not the other way around. Verse eight, but Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor Lord. And if I extorted anyone from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is the son of Abraham. Now, Romans 9, 6, 8 says this. Now, it is not as though the word of God has failed, because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Neither are all of Abraham, children, his descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. That is, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but the children of the promise are considered to be offspring. So it's really interesting here. The fact is, Zach had, had given up his time with the Lord. Zach had said, I'm not in your family, God. And here Jesus is saying, today, Zacchaeus, you're in my family now. You're in my family now. You may have been a Jew who rejected all Jewishness, but you're in the family of God. How good is that news? And then verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Now, Jesus says the phrase, today salvation has come to this house, but he uses the word uh, to him twice here. That's really interesting. When you look at that word, autos, Jesus is telling everyone else. Jesus is making a sermon out of him. Jesus is telling everyone, hey, salvation's come to this house. Salvation has come to Zacchaeus. Now, he's not talking to Zacchaeus at that moment. He's telling everyone else, look at what God did. And that should cause you to praise the Lord, right? Now, it may have caused them to mumble even more and grumble. But he's not just talking to Zach. He's talking to everyone around him. Zach is Jesus' sermon illustration on this day. Zacchaeus' admission of guilt and desire to make it right is what allows him to be saved by Christ. Salvation comes through the work of Christ. But if we're unwilling, though, to leave our junk to follow him, we cannot know what true salvation looks like. Friends, if you have your hand back here trying to grab onto something else, hope that this will save you, and you're saying, Jesus, I'm with you, I doubt your salvation. Is that harsh? It's true. If you are going to say, I hope this saves me, and then you're kind of looking towards Jesus, I'm just going to tell you, like, you have not surrendered your life to Jesus. Surrender to him. I know that there's kind of some, like, some like gray area there where like, I know for me, I'll go back to all sorts of things all the time, but I promise you, I'm trying to seek after God. And so I encourage you to follow him. 
to let him be your salvation. Don't look to anything else. Don't look to success. Don't look to money. Don't look to drugs. Don't look to anything else. Know that Jesus is your only salvation. Salvation comes to the work of Christ. Zach's actions showed that his faith in Christ was real. He didn't do it to receive salvation. This act of generous restitution was a result of his salvation through Jesus. Zach's promise to give back exceeded the requirements in Jewish law. Mosaic law would have required him give back 20% on top for restitution. That's Mosaic law. If you were practicing extortion, that was the restitution, 20%. It was not a man trying to follow the rules to get an okay from Jesus. This was a man who received generosity, and he was overflowing with joy, with kindness, with generosity himself. Grace received should lead to grace given. That is what happened in Zach's heart that day. And I hope that when you see that, you see a miracle. As much a miracle as the blind man receiving sight. So the scales fell from Zacchaeus' eyes and he saw that Jesus was enough for him. And suddenly all these things that he had held on to that he needed, he gave up. Unlike the man who left sad because he was very rich, Zacchaeus embraced Jesus and said, Oh, I see my money's not about me. Back in 2006, there's a guy named Mike Foster. Mike Foster was living the life. And then he got sick of it all. He's a believer, and he felt like he needed a change. And he had a bit of a Zacchaeus moment. I'm going to read to you what he says. He said, I was driving a really nice sports car. I loved it, but I noticed something happening in my life. This car was tied into how I felt about myself. I felt pride, importance, self-esteem when I drove it. I thought people cared and perceived me as more successful because of the vehicle I drove. I think at some level, all of us fall into that trap. After a while, I just realized what a joke that was. So I sold it, and I traded it for a 1993 Toyota Camry. Nothing wrong with that, y'all. And now I drive that full time. Then I started inviting my friends to do the same, to downgrade instead of upgrade. The point of the junkie car club is to engage in the needs of the world, to recognize our own consumerism and to do something about it. The response to crazy consumerism is crazy generosity. We partner with Compassion International and ask our members to sponsor children who are living in extreme poverty. We're also taking on the issue of mobile homelessness where families, children, and the working poor are forced to live in their vehicles. That's why we say in our mission statement that we are a bunch of happy drivers. We aren't angry, judgmental, or ticked at people who drive nice cars. We just lay out another option for people and doing things different in our lives. Nobody likes heavy-handed guilt trips. It doesn't work, and it's certainly not what we are about. So this is interesting. He's not telling you, you gotta, you got to be Zacchaeus. He's not saying you got to sell everything you own and give it to the poor. But he found that his idol was his car. He loved the way it made him feel. He loved the way the people looked up to him. But he found himself unfulfilled. And here, this dude, Mike, gave it up and got a 93 Camry because he he realized that he was not putting his hope where it belonged. He was not putting his identity where it belonged. So when the oppressor meets Jesus, he realizes his societal responsibility to his neighbors. Let me close with this. It is only by the love of Christ that Zacchaeus is able to live up to his namesake. Because of Jesus, Zacchaeus can be called just, righteous, clean, and it's not a joke. It's not a joke anymore. His name is not silly anymore. James Edwards again says this, Grace is such a scandal 
because it insists on including those whom we wish to exclude. The story of Zacchaeus illustrates such grace. It ends not with Zacchaeus seeking Jesus, but in Jesus seeking him. Not in Zacchaeus' moral perfection, but with his recovery and restoration as a son of Abraham. Friends, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And it's really important to, to remember that lost people are not necessarily awful people. They're lost. The lost. They're lost people who are in the wrong place. Is a lost coin an awful coin? No. It is still redeemable in the same way, right? It is still powerful in the same way that can be used financially for goods and services. In the same way, God sees human beings as people of value. And some of them are just in the wrong place right now. But he's pulling them towards himself. And if we can do anything we can to help them be here, then I pray that our church is willing to sacrifice ourselves so that those who are in the wrong place would come to the right place. And that's not necessarily just this room, but that's a saving knowledge of Jesus, that they might be baptized as an outward sign of what God has done in their life and that it might be a monument in our communities. That people might see that Jesus pulled them out of that and that they weren't necessarily unredeemable or broken or bad, but they were lost. And God found them and pulled them out of their lostness. And guess what happened? Then works happened. Now, for those of you um, today, some of you, your call today is to forgive. I'm not telling you you should go hang out with your oppressors. I'm not telling you you should go out with someone who abuses you. But your call is to forgive and move on. When you are able, I encourage for you to pray for whomever hurt you. And in some cases, we're appropriate and safe to seek reconciliation. For those of you who have lived the life that people need to forgive you, I encourage you to start with Jesus. Don't start with self-help plans. Don't start with all these programs that you can do. Start with Jesus. Programs are good. Sometimes meds are good. But I tell you this, start with Jesus ask for his forgiveness. Seek him as Lord. His love is extravagant. His love is available, and he will forgive you. If you follow Jesus but haven't been walking him for real, perhaps today's the day you make it for real. But you have to do more than just think about it, friends. You need to commit yourself to him. That is what he desires. Make a game plan and stick to it. Friends, we can walk this through with you We are imperfect, but we will do our best to keep you in the circle and to keep you close to Jesus. Keep you in the, uh, sorry, not circle. What's that? Keep you in the horseshoe and close to Jesus. Make sure that we as a church do not keep, keep people from Jesus. Make sure you as a family do not keep people from Jesus. Remember that Jesus loves your oppressors and your enemies. And then remember that it is faith that yields works. It is Jesus that yields works. And you cannot earn anything with God that has not already been freely given to you. Don't try to earn it. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you love us. And we thank you that you love us in our mess, in our hate, in our pain, in the way we've oppressed others, in the way that we have allowed others to do bad things to us, in the way that we have been broken. You are the great repairer. God, I ask today that those of us who feel far from you, that you would accept us in this moment, that you would remind us of how much you love us, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit as we confess our sins to you. 
For those of us who uh, have been walking, you, walking with you for a long time, God, remind us that no one is off your limits, that there's no one too far gone that you cannot redeem. God, I pray that more and more we might live lives that look like the way Zacchaeus responded to you, but that we would only do it out of joy and grace that we've received. In this moment, Lord, we bring to you our sins, asking that you would forgive us silently. God, thank you that we have nothing to offer you, nothing that you don't already have. So all we have is ourselves. All the ways that we want to go in the other direction, all the ways that we want to earn it, you look at us and you tussle our hair and tell us that we are loved anyway. So God, even in our sinfulness to to be loved, would you remind us that we are loved because you love us and no other reason? That we receive grace because of your goodness. God, let our church be a place um, and a people that accept people from all walks of life, whether we agree with them or not. Let us show them love, whether we agree with them or not, and let us not leave people here bloodied and bruised because we disagree. Might we gently reveal your truth to them. Might you reveal it to us. We pray this in Jesus' name.